0: This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Menz.
1: Bail is refused. You're out of order! If
0: it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do.
1: I do. Nothing further from this. Point. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed.
2: Welcome to The Whigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. In this episode, The Whigs examine a controversial situation impacting some of the state's potentially most vulnerable women, which requires reform. A little bit of background first. It is common in the criminal justice system for women who allege domestic violence against their partner to later withdraw the allegation, and in some cases, the allegations were in fact lies. Most experts and criminal lawyers are aware that many of these retractions are not a genuine indication of falsity of the original allegation, but rather can be motivated by fear, love, or just a concern to keep the family to Together and supported. In some cases, New South Wales police have been charging such women with making a false accusation, relying alone on the woman's retraction. Many such women have pleaded guilty and, in some cases, have been jailed. The Whigs are concerned that this practice has led to miscarriages of justice with genuine victims of domestic violence being re victimised, discredited, and jailed. So, in this episode, the Whigs examine the issue, discuss case studies, and propose a way to ensure such prosecutions are properly considered and only launched when the original allegation can be proved beyond reasonable doubt to, in fact, be false. By evidence other than the retraction itself, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wigs. It's another round of legal uh, hypothecating. No, 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 no factual display of intellect on matters that are before the courts and hypothetical matters that are out there in legal land. I'll just get to the intros. Stephen Lawrence, MLC. Mate, you nailed that intro. Thank you very much, <laughs> Manuel Jim Jimins, welcome back to the studio. So excited to be another here. Another week. Yes. How are we like are we like in this format? Formula? You're getting good feedback. I was getting good feedback. I'm struggling
0: to pretend that it's a
1: different day, but we're doing well. I'm trying to change Ah, my tone. We're not recording three episodes on one afternoon. No, No, we're we're not. not. Are we, Felicity? We're
2: back here every week. Felicity Graham. I'm back here. (laughs) Smashing it out. But you're dressed the same. (laughs) Yeah, it's the outfit. The Wigs uniform. The Wiggles had a uniform. Look, I digress. We've got to get on with the topics. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk about the law. That's why people are tuning in. Lawrence.
1: Okay. Take it away. So it's lucky we've got a whole day to talk about this, a separate day, and that we're not doing it on the same day as those other complex issues. here. Because this is a complex issue. So the issue I'm talking about is the issue of uh, people, though all the cases I've known have been women, who make allegations of domestic violence against um, a partner or relative. That partner or relative is uh, charged normally, or in most of these cases, with some form of assault. Then at some point in the future, uh, often in the course of the hearing of that matter, because the person has pleaded not guilty, the complainant says that the original allegation was not true. And that person then, uh, the complainant that is, is subsequently charged with an offence that has as an element that that original allegation was false. There's two offences that uh, this seems to lead to charges being laid of. One uh, is public mischief, which is an offence under, I think it's 347 of the Crimes Act, it's up the back. It's got a maximum penalty, I think it was six months. Um, The other offence is a more serious offence, um, a seven year maximum penalty offence, contrary to section 314 of the Crimes Act, which is the offence of making a false accusation. Like public mischief, that has as an element that the original allegation was false. Right. Uh, so this phenomenon that we're talking about, um, as I've said, is people who complain of domestic violence at some point in the future retract that allegation and say that it wasn't true and then subsequently uh, are charged with false accusation or public mischief. There's a bit of a context to this which I think we need to talk about just to set the scene. And the context is that it's very well known in the investigation and prosecution of domestic violence matters that withdrawal uh, of the original allegation is an endemic problem. And there's various studies around, or I've viewed some of them today, but you know, some of those studies talk about well over half of domestic violence allegations are ultimately retracted. And I started my career as a domestic violence prosecutor in Canberra where I became very familiar with this and was very sure in many, many of the cases I was dealing with that the original allegation was true. Mm. It's also something very well known to defence lawyers, not just particularly in Western New South Wales, but certainly uh, in Western New South Wales. And there's reference in a colloquial sense in the criminal law in New South Wales to the Burke defence, because it's said to be particularly common in Burke that allegations of domestic violence are retracted by the complainant. So criminal lawyers, not just those in Western New South Wales, but elsewhere as well, will know about this phenomenon where You have a domestic violence matter listed for hearing. At the forefront of your mind in the lead up to the hearing is whether it's going to be um, a Burke case or a Burke defence, which is shorthand for the complainant turning up to court and saying that it's not true. And I wouldn't purport to speak for criminal lawyers generally, but I think it's probably fair to say that in many of those cases, maybe most, not necessarily most, it doesn't really matter whether it's the case or not, but in many of those cases, you'll have some real doubt in your mind about whether that original allegation was not true. You'll often suspect, look, it probably was true. There's very often corroborating evidence by way of injuries and so forth, but the complainant will turn up and say that it's not true. And generally, not always, but generally the magistrate will throw out those cases because the person who's brought the allegation is now saying that it's not true and how do they know, and you can't reach that criminal standard of beyond reasonable doubt in those circumstances generally. So that's a bit of a broad background to the issue. I should probably add that I think some of the research would support the proposition that this phenomenon of withdrawing of allegations is often uh, because there's an emotional relationship between the people. It might sometimes be because the person who's been charged, often the mayor, might be the breadwinner. Oh, absolutely. You know, that, oh, there's children in the family, the children miss their dad, uh, the person you know, has had this connection with their intimate partner severed and want that back. So there's or all sorts there's of reasons. a threat of further violence. A threat of further violence, absolutely. And
2: who's pursuing the f- – I'm sure you're going to get to this and I'm sorry for cutting it in – but who's pursuing the fraudulent accusation charges?
1: So I might answer that question by just telling a story about how I first got involved in this issue. Mm. So the way I first got involved in this issue was <clears throat> I was working at ALS Dubbo, a solicitor – who was due to do the hearing list that day in a remote town, about 150 k's from Dubbo, was ill. So I went to do the hearing list in that town. There was a couple of matters in for hearing. One of them was the hearing of a woman who was charged with public mischief. And I reviewed and the brief contained the transcript of the hearing of her partner's assault matter where she had confessed to her original allegation being false and it also uh, contained various other police statements and so forth. I reviewed the transcript of her boyfriend's hearing and it was quite extraordinary in the sense that she had made this complaint to the police, Uh, the police had attended, uh, seemed to recall it was in the middle of the night, she had injuries when police attended, she made an allegation of assault. He pled not guilty, she was called by the police prosecutor as the main witness against him She, in in evidence-in-chief, as often occurs in these matters, told the court that her allegation had been false. Uh, The police prosecutor put to her, sought leave to cross-examine her under Section 38, suggested to her that she was lying in court and that her original allegation was true. Uh, The magistrate, Howard Hamilton, threw out the charge against the boyfriend, but in the course of doing that, expressed, I think he said, I have got significant doubts about her evidence in court, i.e. he was he was saying that her evidence, her complaint to the police might was well be true. probably true. Mm. Then he said to the police prosecutor, are you going to be looking at charging her? Mm. She was then, as I recall it, this might not be right, was then arrested outside the court, if not then very shortly afterwards was charged. The element, The offence that she was charged with had as an essential element that that original statement to the police was false. The same prosecutor, certainly the same police service, is was now putting a case that that original allegation was false and that her evidence in court was true. So there's an irreconcilable situation there in terms of running inconsistent cases. They're put to her in cross-examination the original allegation was true. They're then immediately turning around and putting to her that it was false and charging her. It's quite vindictive, I think, yeah I think it's this sort of attitude which is, oh well, if you're going to frustrate our prosecution of the boyfriend, we're going to hold you to to your most contemporaneous statement.
2: Yeah, So it's the magistrate getting a an- that the, the court is being the court's time is being wasted and the police prosecutor being embarrassed by being stood up in front of the magistrate for not or being essentially being told what to do and acting upon that direction,
1: you could certainly interpret it that way.
0: Is it, common? It's,
2: okay. common, it it's was... common? it's
0: common for people to not turn up. But is it common for, for people to actually confess to having lied?
1: In my experience in these matters, I think it's, it's often a bit of both. You will certainly see many cases where they will simply say, I don't remember now yeah, or I was on drugs at the time, I can't really account for what I said. I think it's less common to have a direct admission that they lied originally, but it does happen.
3: The landscape has also changed a little bit because we now have the domestic violence evidence-in-chief videos. Yeah. So there's a big rollout of video cameras amongst New South Wales police and particularly um, an approach that when police attend a domestic violence complaint, they take a video-recorded statement from the complainant that then under legislation is played as their evidence-in-chief. So I think that has changed the landscape quite a lot in terms of, at least in the first instance, that is their evidence-in-chief and their evidence-in-chief isn't a retraction or a... Mm. um, are pulling back from the original allegations.
1: Though often there are... or I think they're asked generally at the beginning a question about whether they told the truth in that interview. Yeah. And I think that often provides an opportunity to say, no, I didn't. And even if that doesn't occur, I think defence lawyers will obviously then ask them whether it's true or not. Because you'll often have an inkling as a lawyer about what they're likely to say. Then they'll have the opportunity to say, well, no, it wasn't true. But I think it does change it. And I think it makes it harder to retract... When it you're does. sitting there in court and you've just watched this video, that's the best evidence. It's filmed at the time of your complaint. It you're
3: crying. You've got looks injuries. You've given this account. Yeah, I makes th- I it th- harder. I but think that's right.
0: Let's assume that you. Well, let's assume an example where a person is injured and makes a complaint, but it's later revealed that that complaint was dishonest. Say there is a video that shows that they were. In fact, the aggressors and yeah. the injuries they got were as a result of their aggression. Mm. Should that person be p- charged and imprisoned as a result of that? They should certainly be charged and prosecuted. Yeah. Yeah. And then the court determined the sentence. The sentence. Absolutely.
3: Truly false complaints, I think, are a completely um, destructive yeah. of our system. And there's a good reason for having criminal offences of public mischief and perjury mm. and um, making a false complaint. Absolutely.
1: But these matters and this...
3: But, but the phenomena here
0: and we were that. seeing it... I
1: mean, it could be that in part and sometimes it's hard to tell, right? Mm. And that sort of gives rise to the policy issue, which is who should be deciding that such people are prosecuted.
3: And Steve's case when we were out west was not an isolated incident. Because yeah, so we let's talk looked, about that, eh? yeah, 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 we looked at that issue.
1: So after that case, and that case never proceeded to hearing, I don't think, because I turned up at the local court out there and went berserk about it and just said that this is an inconsistent prosecution, it's an abusive process. And then it got adjourned and then I think it got withdrawn. And then I referred her for civil action uh, for malicious prosecution, but I'm not actually sure what happened with that.
0: Uh, But anyway, so
1: after that case, we commissioned a file review of all the ALS Western Zone files where there'd been a charge of public mischief or false accusation. And we we discovered 20 cases where domestic violence complainants had been prosecuted after a retraction. And that was in the Quite five, a short time years, frame. five years leading up to 2013, I think. Um, and they were in a range of towns, some in Walgut, uh, some in Wagga, some in Griffith, some in Coonabarabra, and in a sort of range of places around. And there ended up being extensive media coverage of it. And there's some good articles in the Australian about it that talk about the. Uh, The scope of it. So the Australian article at the time by Natasha Robinson talks about Friend of the Whigs. Yeah, Friend of the Whigs. Uh, The Weekend Australian has uncovered 20 cases in which 19 Indigenous women and one 17 year old girl from towns stretching from Wagga to Wagga Wagga were prosecuted after attracting the substance of police statements made immediately following an alleged domestic incident. Three of the women were sentenced to prison, one for a period of 18 months by country magistrates. The sentences were later overturned by a higher court. Now, another interesting paragraph that I'll just read here says, the ALS New South Wales ACT case review also turned up extraordinary examples in which women had been refused certificates of immunity from prosecution in court and one in which a magistrate failed to warn a woman who gave evidence that she had lied to police against incriminating herself. In that case, the magistrate, now retired Howard Hamilton, later told the woman who had retracted the substance of her allegations in court that police may pursue action against her despite, despite expressing at the same time significant doubts that the mother of one was telling the truth when she claimed she'd fallen over and injured her face rather than having been punched. So what happened after all of that media coverage was so we were pushing for a policy change to adopt a process that Applies in the United Kingdom when the Crown Prosecution Service considers matters that all of these matters have to be considered by a senior prosecutor or a lawyer, and that you will only proceed against a person who's retracted if you are satisfied clearly that you can prove beyond reasonable doubt the, original, the original statement original was false, is false. Mm. Mm. Totally. and that you w- and that you wouldn't just rely upon the actual statement of retraction. So there was some discussion in Parliament at the time. Mm. I think David Shoebridge asked Greg Smith some questions mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. and eventually, what happened was the Police Minister committed in Parliament to a change to the police standard operating procedures, so that they, so that it was clear clear to prosecutors and to police, uh, police prosecutors, I should say, that you would only charge in such a case where you are sure that the original allegation was false. Mm. And then I sort of didn't hear much more about this issue. But then early this year, they're not equipped to make that determination. They're not equipped to make that determination. That's exactly the I case. I
3: think this is quite an example of why we need lawyers prosecuting in the local
1: courts. Yes, yeah. I Wood mean Royal independent Commission. prosecution services are human rights.
0: Sorry, the Wood Royal Commission said that we shouldn't have police prosecutors. We just shouldn't. All. Years and years. Why do we? It's Probably one of the
1: biggest human rights issues in our criminal justice system. There. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real problem.
0: Well, and it's a waste of money. Like, if you don't want to be, you know, if you want to be hard about it, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of court time. It's bad for complainants coming forward. It's also bad for, for you know, the rare circumstance where you've got somebody who is actually lying. Like, that person should face the full force of the mm. law. Mm-hmm. Right? So. All of that is just washed because it's not managed properly. But also
2: your your example is a police prosecutor with no discretion or an inability to use it mm. because they're being directed by the magistrate to do something and they've just gone robotically act.
1: Mm. I can't remember in that case, and my memory's just been jogged reading that Australian article, I don't remember whether he directed the police prosecutor no. or the police in terms, but he certainly put on the record at the end of the proceedings that you might well be prosecuted. And that, that can is code. have as much That's power a as a direction.
2: It's a direction. Yeah. It's not like... And there was
1: definitely one case, and I can't remember if it involved Howard Hamilton or not, but there was definitely one case where action was taken immediately, mm. as in on the doorsteps of the court. Yeah. Mm.
0: I, I remember, I think before you guys were at the ALS, I, I was out at Bull Kenya, and there was this recurrent issue which I probably still happens, you know, this Burke defence idea that mm. the complainants weren't showing up. And one day the magistrate kind of said, well, I'm issuing a warrant. There's a subpoena, issued a warrant. The person was arrested mm. and denied bail. And we sort of, well, we were acting for the for the defendant, but we sort of screamed and got, got them bail in Sydney fairly quickly after that. But there's, a, there's, a, there's all kinds of interesting intersecting policy propositions. Like... The police have to charge, as in effect, as a rule, any allegation of domestic violence. They will not drop them, even where a complainant, for the most part, where a complainant says, look, I don't want to go forward, I don't want to give evidence, the police will not drop it. And there's good policy reasons for both of those things, which is that actually you don't know what the pressure is going in the background. But actually, the solution to that is, to my mind, that actually police should investigate. And what... I hate about all domestic violence, not all, but most domestic violence prosecutions in the local court, is that the investigation that happens is essentially nil. Mm -hmm. Mm. The complainant makes a complaint, that now these days is recorded, which is a good thing, and it's put before the court, right? Well, what about the risk to, what about, forget about the risk to the defendant that there's lying and there might be exculpatory evidence. What about the risk to the complainants where there might actually be ongoing violence in the background, oh, don't worry about it, we've put it in front of the court, you know, there's just no further investigation done. Mm. And that is a resourcing issue that should be corrected. And that, I think, would solve a lot of these problems, you know.
1: So just in terms of why we're covering this now, um, so I got told earlier this year that there'd been at least three such cases recently, one in Moree, one in and one in Burke. And then this afternoon I got an email from a legal aid solicitor who told me about a case four years ago in Coonabarabran. So it seems to be one of these instances where there's a policy or a rule that tells police officers and police prosecutors only to do it in certain circumstances. But what's been communicated to me is that the same issue is occurring again, Mm. i.e. that these are cases I've been told where there would seem to be at least a real possibility the original allegation was true. And that it's proceeded in that way. And that the people in some of those cases I know of have pleaded not guilty, some pleaded guilty. And I was told that one pleaded guilty because they didn't want to say that the, uh, that the retraction had been false. Mm. And I also remembered another thing. That's
3: a really invidious. Well, I was reviewing the
1: material from, from 2013 today, and I'd actually forgotten this. But in a number of the cases in our file review, the way police dealt with it was when they retracted, they charged the person with false accusation or public mischief they then maintained both the prosecution yeah, that's right. against the man and against them wow. until a plea of guilty was entered to the public mischief false accusation and charge then, they, then they dropped the charge, the charge against, against, against the, against the, the, against the, the, the bloke. bloke so what an example of the so the perverse. kind of power dynamics and the coercive effect of all of this to maintain two inconsistent prosecutions until the woman who's made the allegation pleads guilty and says it was a lie so yeah, it's a positive I mean,
0: inducement. Or vice versa. I mean, that's what happened in that case. But yeah. I- the alternative is also abhorrent. Mm, absolutely. Right? He pleads guilty because he doesn't want his wife to go to jail or yep. whatever, right?
1: Mm. Mm.
0: So it's a really complex and we are issue. talking
3: about jail. Howard Hamilton locked up that client of um, the ALS, Alison
1: Yeah, do you want to talk about Sullivan. Alison Sullivan? Have you got yeah, that stuff there?
3: Yeah, so this was, again, back in um, that period, 2013. Alison Sullivan... She was a 44-year-old woman. She'd been a victim of two decades of extreme family violence. Um, Her partner was charged on the basis of allegations of repeated assaults that she made. Then she told the police that she'd lied when she'd made those allegations. And then she was charged. Um, She entered a plea of not guilty um, went to a hearing, was found guilty. Magistrate Howard Hamilton sentenced her to 18 months prison with a non-parole period of six months. She went into prison. She filed an appeal, but she spent three days in Wellington Prison with all that kind of attaches to that mm. um, that experience, being strip-searched, being held in custody for days. Um, she said it was the longest three days of my life, worse than the domestic violence that she'd experienced. Um, and then eventually her case comes before the district court in Dubbo for the appeal and the DPP, and I think this underscores what I was saying before about the importance of lawyers handling Mm. these matters, not the police, because the DPP offered no evidence.
1: So just on that, Liam Shaw was the Crown Prosecutor who appeared in the appeal. I distinctly remember it, and I don't want to verbal Liam, but I seem to recall that he was quite shocked by the mm. proposition of the prosecution mm. and very forthrightly and readily offered no evidence. What a
0: fantastic prosecutor he yeah. is, can I say. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just... It seems to me that if we... We talk a lot about taking domestic violence seriously, but we don't... And we pass all these laws to facilitate evidence and to force domestic violence to be considered by the criminal courts and I think in general... And I mean, in the
2: workplace, yeah. everywhere,
0: pervade uh, all the way through. Uh, I think in Domestic general, violence
2: leave is just a new initiative that's just been introduced yeah. for victims to take leave that doesn't cut into their other leave at short notice.
0: Sorry, uh, to, uh, sorry I, I mean, in general, I think I'm in favour of all of those things. I'm just belabouring your point. Yeah, what sorry. what we're What we're missing, if we do take this seriously is expert people who are in charge of the prosecution of domestic violence mm. and the charging of it. Now, I understand that you need General duties police to charge in the first instance, but there should be a review of the evidence in every single one of these mm. matters. And to hell with the bloody cost. If we're serious, if we're going to put up ads, spend millions of dollars on ads and say we say no to violence against women, let's spend some bloody money and get the investigations done. Because, I mean, back when I used to do a lot of these, I used to win so many of these cases because the investigation was rubbish. Mm, Absolutely. But let's
3: also spend money where it really helps in the support services for victims of domestic violence, like housing, counselling, you know or the actual uh, addressing the holistic needs mm. of the people you know the number of people who retract a complaint because they'd be homeless if mm. they didn't I mean, yeah. that that shouldn't be a state of affairs
1: mm-hmm. so in terms of the solution to all this i might just read from the australian or one of the australian articles back in 2013 which said Uh, the cases have triggered deep concern among lawyers and domestic violence advocates who are particularly concerned at the lack of oversight from the director of public prosecutions in such delicate cases there is provision within the new south wales dpp act under section 16 for the state's dpp to issue a direction to police mandating that particular types of cases be referred to the dpp for consideration of prosecution Mm. a similar directive was given recently by the united kingdom dpp following a public furor at the jailing of a woman who retracted a rape allegation. Uh, Alternatively, under the same act, Mr Smith, who was then the Attorney General, could issue a guideline that laid out the circumstances in which the DPP should handle potential domestic violence retraction prosecutions to prevent the criminalisation of genuine victims. Those two alternatives still exist under law as a way of dealing with this.
0: Yeah, well maybe we should write to the attorney and suggest it, uh, to the director and suggest it to her. Mm. You know. Put it on Wig's letterhead Yeah or <laughs> well, people out there could write <laughs> <laughs> Yes
2: Fun things. Haven't done it for three weeks. Let's just do it this week. I mean, you know. It's sure. Yeah, like, like this is what I'm going to do, people. This is from a product' uh, can't do
1: the, three fun things in one. Ex- I struggle yeah. for one fun
2: thing. Listen, I'm listen. Wigs production talk, okay, while we're on air. Listeners can be, you know, inside on this little conversation. We're going to do fun things once every three weeks, starting from <laughs> now, okay? So, Felicity Graham, what's your fun thing?
3: I. Went to Parliament House the other night.
1: Oh, lovely! This is my fun I- thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's my fun thing as well. I'm good you. Uh, I heard an inaugural speech. Ah.
2: <laughs> Whose was it?
3: The Honourable <laughs> Stephen Lawrence, NLC.
2: Can we get in a copy of that? And can we run it as an app? A special app? Yeah, sure. Why don't we do that? Let's do that as an app next week, and that'll buy, that'll give us a week off. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I'll give you a real fun thing. Because that's Stevie's fun thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, that can be your fun thing. I've got another fun thing.
3: Okay, well, I'll, I'll do a double I, fun yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay, go go double.
3: Uh, I went olive picking the other day in the Hunter wow. Valley.
2: Oh, Hunter Valley, okay. I was going to say, where volleyball. do you do that? Nice, you're back in the, back in the game, are you? Because you used to give out the jars of the stuff.
3: Oh, I make chutneys, oh, chutneys and okay, yeah, relishes yeah, yeah. and things. Yeah, mm. pickles. Mm. I've definitely got some, you know, coming up for you guys soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this was olive picking. Okay, um, making olive oil. It was great.
2: Great idea. Good for you. Yeah, how totally fun. fun. When was that? Last? Well, recently. Yeah, we done timelines with this new Swift wigs. It's yeah, Ugh. it's a bit
0: all over the shop. Manuel Kerkasharian, what's your fun thing? I had the uh, also the experience of going to Parliament. Lovely. I want to tell the, your story when we walked out. Can I tell that story <laughs> or should I not? Tell away. No. <laughs> it's not much of a story. I no. come out, I see Jim, he's walked out of Parliament. And gets what was the, the context? Where were we? Where was, we? we were, we were we, we just walked we're out of the We were witnessing history. just witnessed. <laughs> what, as someone who's seen a lot of Parliament in my previous role in yes. the Law Review Division, I used to watch yep. people speak. Stephen's speech was the best speech I've ever seen there in that go. place. By miles and miles and miles... Uh, Thanks, mate. <laughs> no, legit, legit, and you know, I, I think I sent you a sweet message after it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, awesome. you hear great. it. it was it's, awesome, mate. Yeah, the the level of debate has like increased by, by hundred <laughs> percent. Yes, <the> presence, <laughs> or infinity. Anyway, intellect has come back no, so, to parliament. <laughs> so I walk out and I see Jim, who I wasn't, I think was upstairs. Yeah. And Jim and I start chatting. He gets this phone call and it yeah. says Chris. Yeah. And then he's like, oh. I've got a game, go, mate. The premiers going to give me a lift home. <laughs> <laughs> and it on team again. Yes, yes. So I found that for quite funny. Um, what's my fun thing? My best mate is about to go away for three months, and I've just you know it's really we're going to a party on Saturday. To celebrate his going away for three months. He's driving around Australia with his family. Mm. And I'm just I thought so. thought you were going to say he's going to jail. He's going away for three Criminal months. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's driving around the country, quote <laughs> unquote, with his family. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just so excited to, to kind of go to. I think I haven't been to an event like that since COVID. And I'm really. Oh, wow. You know, like I've been to parties and whatever. But anyway, I'm really excited.
2: That's it. good. Yeah. I like that. That's a good
1: wholesome yeah. fun thing. Yeah. I, that, I dig that. Yeah. yeah. Stephen Lawrence. Well, I'm glad to hear that my inaugural speech was fun for other people. Yeah. And, in fact, I was talking to someone else who was there who walked out and spoke to someone else who was there who I think was sitting near you, and they said to my mate, they said, that was really enjoyable. It was like it only went for 10 minutes, (laughs) and he didn't just stand up and thank a million people. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Not that I'm not appreciative, (laughs) but I went to this seminar about, about how to write this speech, and the guy who was really good said, look... Don't just do a long list of thank yous. It kills a narrative. It kills yeah. a speech. You yeah. can thank people in a different way. By
3: mentioning them.
1: By mentioning yeah. them. Or you can just ring them next week in your first week in parliament and tell them thank you. So yeah. anyway, it was fun in some ways doing it. It was very nerve wracking. So really? I was happy to get it over with early. Yeah, to be honest. But I'm glad that it was fun for other people.
3: It was such a good it's crowd great. there yeah. as well, you know. Good like- Good turnout. It was pretty cool being in the President's Gallery mm. and with Matthew Batsuya from Nauru yeah. yes. and Lucy Dubwidow and your family were there, obviously, mm. Stephen, Cordis, yep. Damien. It was,
1: yeah. It, it was, was good. Mm. Premier walked in. Yeah, he did. That he was Premier did, was yeah. there. He was a little bit late, wasn't he? A little bit late. Yeah, I shot him a dirty for
2: that. So you should.
0: <laughs> I, I liked that, and I, I don't think I'd ever seen a first speech before, but I liked that you were kind of standing on one side of the table and then everyone else was lined up on the other side i tell you what's quite
1: funny about that is yeah is
0: that tradition so
1: when i was yeah it is tradition but when i was sitting there emily saval who's also in the upper house I said to her, I'll just stay and sit with me until I speak. I saw speak, that. Right? Because I, I didn't want to sit on my want own. I to just be... And then she stayed, and then she just stayed the whole time. So when you watch the speech on the video, you can see all of her facial reactions to speech. <laughs> that speech. That's great. And it's quite funny. And I was talking to Emily, and she's like, why didn't I move, for God's sake? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but I said, I really like the fuck you because yeah. you've got this, like, live reaction face. Yeah. It's good.
0: It's like yeah. in federal <laughs> parliament <laughs> behind question time where they put the people who are, like, giving you the thumbs yeah, up. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a cracker. And
2: as listeners will... Here, there's uh, so, like it, it's kind of like the part two of the uh, unwigged. You know, because like I had all this insight into you now because of that conversation that we had, and then to hear it all come out in a little bit more fleshy detail I was like, oh yeah, and more I know.
1: family stuff, I guess. Than yeah, yeah
2: which it was probably.
3: I like think about it was your grandparents in- and stuff. I thought mm. that was really it was
2: really good, yeah, mm. and I think it was important, and yeah, and I told you, I got a little, I was lucky enough to have a little preview of the speech. I am not if I can disc- disclose that prior to you delivering it, and I said to you, I found it quite moving. Mm. and the delivery exceeded expectations. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my fun thing. What's your yeah, fun yeah, thing, Jim? Yeah, what's your fun thing, Jim? So I am have embarked on the final three subjects Ooh, of my amazing. law degree. Still time to quit. Mate, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the, de- the exit is there. I can f- I can feel it. I can feel <laughs> it. I just want to bring this up, and I, thought we, I think we brought it up in our conversation, is that the journey began... Uh, a couple of months after the first episode of The Wigs, wow. I think. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So Dude, I just it. started. Randomly was going to do this wig started, and so yeah, no, it's just funny. It's like it's sort of like this juxtaposition between like <laughs> stuff that's come up in class has come up in conversation on the show. I've had this sort of like exce- a, you know, accelerated education mm-hmm. as compared to my classmates, who I feel sorry for as a result. But anyway, we're in the final stretch, so maybe but I so guess
3: season six, you'll be a lawyer. I've-
2: be. I'll have to beep be that out, but bleep. finally get to sit at the table. Sorry, Philippa. Legitimately, yeah, Philippa. I'll, I'll, <laughs> Sorry, Auntie Me. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> that beep wasn't that out, me, Auntie. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll beep it out. But uh, as you can see, the level of excitement is off the Richter scale. We'll have to do some sort of special, you know, gym... I
3: think we need dispensation admin, for the three mm. of us to move your admission mm. together. We, we, we can all yeah, turn have up to do in that.
0: robe and we will. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we could also seek dispensation to broadcast...
2: Because
3: oh, mm. well, it
0: is a corporate mm. setting. There is and they do studio.
2: stream it on YouTube, yeah. every the yeah. admission oh, ceremony. Could ask oh, the
0: justice for approval to kind of... <laughs> but they'll be like, yeah, we'd be hijacking every,
2: like, like 60, you know, admitted people in the room at the then time. Just do it your might bit. be
1: cross at me after my admission the other night. What was that? My admission in my speech that I wasn't in compliance with the practice direction in the Black Lives Matter case.
3: On no. wearing your oh, wearing you. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Hey, so what, <laughs> just procedurally, are you are you out of robes now
1: for the duration I'm of I'm going to keep my practicing certificate, I've decided. Okay. Mm.
0: People used to, they used to be common for MLCs to wear robes to Before, practice. To yeah, yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not anymore. Not anymore. And oh, there's really? a lot of all against it. It's I'm not, really not sure. like you ever oh, have to go to Parliament. It's like 20 days a year. No, or it's very much a full time job.
1: Plus, I'm on like five committees. and... Oh, which
3: committees are you on?
1: It hasn't been formally allocated yet. But I think I'm going to be on the Privileges Committee, the Law and Justice Committee, Social Affairs Committee, a couple of others, Portfolio Committees.
2: Don't broadcast that. Everyone will be writing into the wigs and wanting bloody to put Mm. their submissions forward. Can I just ask you something really bizarre? I was watching Question Time the other day and they're swearing into the new um, uh, government why are the clerk staff or the black rod people, why are they in, like, you know,
0: wig garb mm, minus the wig? They are by barristers. What's what yeah. that all about? This mm. I want to get one of them in for an interview. To explain what the hell's yeah, it's going fascinating. on. They wear the robes of silk. Yes. They do. And No wig. Yeah, and no wig. And we're not talking about the black rod. We're talking about the clerk of the parliament. Oh, okay, sorry. And they're, in effect, as I understand it, like the legal advisor... In the room, yeah. is that right? There's also They're parliamentary really counsel. Really good. So what um, on
2: parliamentary Council? Yeah. They advise you on standing not orders the of the
1: Parliament, all that stuff, procedure. Okay. They're extremely good. They're is obviously apolitical, objective. Is really. there a New
2: South Wales Solicitor General? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, there is. Michael but that's Sixthman. not this person. No. No. So the Solicitor General is the executive government's lawyer, basically. Uh-huh. And there's also yeah. a
0: parliamentary yeah. counsel who's the bar- who's a barrister in effect, who advises the Parliament on what legislation should look like. Oh. And in general, that's on the advice of the executive government. But any no backbencher from any party can say, "Hey, can you draft me an act that says mm. this?"
2: And who's the person who went? Okay, so when you come into the room, like,
1: just yeah, wear that, but just take the wig off.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the like,
1: that was back in 1693. Don't you reckon? Like, it was it's a guy just weird. John Smith. It must have who been said that. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't there some I love that in induction. Really? Mm.
0: <laughs> One of the speeches of the federal parliament recently, I say the last 15, 20 years, went back to... Re- we- yeah,
2: it was Slipper. Slipper. Might have been. That's right. After the clamshell, yeah.
1: just before the clamshell scandal. Yeah. 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 We won't
2: talk about that. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've been great. No, no, what no. a fantastic three weeks. Next week, the, the inaugural speech of... Stephen Lawrence, MLC, and then we'll be back with regular week programming after that. See you later. Thanks
3: for listening. Please like The Wigs on Facebook at The Wigs Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review on iTunes.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Minimal Productions, produced by Jim Mintz.